0: All right. Good morning. A couple of you agree. Go ahead. Uh, (laughs) The rest of you agree. Try again. Good morning. morning. There we go. That's better. All right. Yes, I am official rim to rim. Very happy about that. That was uh, exhilarating and exhausting and uh, just a really neat accomplishment and just beautiful. Adam did a great job teaching and leading, so and carrying all the extra weight so (laughs) to make it doable for us. so uh, we're going to be looking at this topic in a little bit. What I want to do is go through a lot of the skeptical questions that uh, people have about the ark and about the flood and about Noah and show you that when we start from scripture, we can answer those questions. Uh, if you've been to the ark encounter before, you might recognize me as the bean guy. That was me 40 pounds ago. And uh, with a stretched screen, it looks like even more than 40 pounds ago. Uh, but... Um, uh, there's, there's a video that you guys can actually watch, it's online. If you go to arkencounter.com beans, like B-E-A-N-S, and you can watch that. It's talking about the reliability of the New Testament manuscripts. Um, so that's available. Um, but I'm in the ark in a few places. I'll show you one other place if you stick around till the end. Um, and, uh, I, I get to be part of a team that is so talented and does so many amazing things. I'm on the design team even though I don't design anything. I can't draw a stick figure, not very well. Um, not symmetrical, at least. And I'm just God gave me no artistic ability, but I work with extremely talented artists, and um, they are the ones who produce everything you see in the ark and in the museum. So let's jump into our topic then, and let me start by asking this, and we're gonna we're gonna address this multiple times in this presentation. Why does it matter? Why have we Answers in Genesis as a ministry spent so mon- so much time, uh, resources, energy to build this enormous structure in Northern Kentucky? that looks like Noah's Ark. Well, there are a lot of ways to answer that question. Let me give you one of them. Um, Did you know there are people who like to mock the Bible? And they love making fun of the Bible. You know what area they like to mock more than anything else? The flood and the ark. They love making fun of this. And there are hundreds of cartoons online that you can find that are kind of like this, but I don't recommend going to look for them. Most of them are extremely vile and vulgar. Here's a couple that are kind of family friendly, so to speak. Um, or at least tame enough to show here. And when we opened the ARC back on July 7, 2016, Adam, you were around at that time. Did you get to go to the, like, the <coughs> ribbon-cutting and everything? So we had ribbon-cutting, I think it was on July 5th, and then two days later we did the, th- that was like a soft opening, two days later we did the grand opening for the public, and um, we had protesters at the off-ramp in Williamstown, Kentucky. There were about 80 to 100 people from the American Humanist Association, they had scheduled their national conference to be in Cincinnati to coincide with the opening of the ark so they could come and protest. And they were holding up all their signs. And I had a buddy call me up and he said, Hey, Tim, I want to organize a protest to protesters' protest. So say that five times fast. And what he, he said, What I want to do is buy him a bunch of food from... Um, well, I'll tell you where he got it from. He wanted it from Chick-fil-A. Um, and then he, wanted, he got a whole bunch of um, sports drinks. It was going to be 90-some degrees out. And he wanted to just give them food and drink and share the love of Christ. And he said, since you live not too far from Chick-fil-A, would you pick that up and bring it down? And I'll pay for it and everything. And then, since you're the guy that wrote all the signs in there, if they have questions, they can, they can ask you about it. And I thought, oh, it's my first day off in about six months. I mean, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but not much. Our team was kind of working around the clock. There was so much to get done. And I thought, okay, I'll, I'll go down there for about an, hour, an hour. And I got down there and... Um, they wouldn't eat the sandwiches because of where it was from. <laughs> but um, three hours later, I was getting ready to leave after a bunch of really good conversations. And he said, no, you can't leave yet. We're going to be giving 20 of these guys a tour, and you have to lead it. So that's what I got to do on opening day of the Ark Encounter. So actually turned into 21 atheist agno- and agnostic protesters, and I loved it. All but one of them was very respectful as they were going through. I got to do a Q&A with them for about 15 minutes on deck three. I got to share the gospel with them. And then about half of them had to leave because they were setting up for their conference. The other half stuck around and we talked for another two or three hours and um, just had a fantastic day. In fact, I would do that every day of my life if I could. It was so much fun. Um, and I love this picture and the next one because look at their body language. Notice they're not screaming at me. You know what you got in the newspapers the next day? At the... At the protest site, there were about 80 to 100 of them, I think I said. Um, Most of it was like this, but the leader of that group grabbed one of the cameramen from the newspaper and ran right up in my friend's face and screamed at him. Right then, they took the picture, and that's what goes in the newspaper. But that's not what it was like. It was more like this, and I like this picture, too. Notice we're talking, and, and they're thinking through it. Why? Because we treated them with gentleness and respect. We treated them as human beings who are made in the image of God because that is who they are. Okay? They're very, very wrong about God's existence. They're very wrong about the gospel. But if all we do is shout and scream at them, how are they ever going to listen? How are they ever going to hear it? And if they can see the love of Christ in us, then it will be a lot more attractive to them to want to learn more about the Savior who created them and died for them. So yeah, it was fantastic. I would do it anytime. So let's, uh, that's one reason. There are a lot of skeptics out there, and so we want to address their questions. So let's deal with questions that this one actually comes from within the church a lot of times, Um, and then we're going to get more into the skeptical ones. But um, there are a lot of Christians that for one reason or another have bought into that idea of millions and billions of years, and they try to blend that with the Bible. And in our next hour, we're going to talk more about why that's a problem. But does the Bible allow for a local flood? Why would, why would they try to say a local flood if they want to add the millions and billions of years? Because if those rock layers that you can see all over the Grand Canyon, that Adam and I just got close-up views of the last four days, um, if those were really a record of the millions and millions of years, you can't have a worldwide flood. A worldwide flood would rip all those up and lay down new ones, and you no longer have the evidence for the billions of years. So they... Uh, They will, the people who believe, the Christians who believe in billions of years have to reinterpret Genesis 6 through 9, when it's talking about the worldwide flood, and make it say something different. It's just a local flood, just a regional flood. Does the text allow for that? Well, 13 times in the flood account, we read this phrase, all flesh. The purpose of the flood was to destroy all flesh, all flesh in whose uh, whose nostrils was the breath of life, perished over and over and over again. We read that. What do you think it means when it stresses that 13 different times? Just some of the animals on land died? No, it's all of them. Every, every land animal, every human being that was not on board the ark perished. The Bible is extremely clear on that, meaning it wasn't a local, a local flood. How about the size of the ark? You know, The Bible tells us how big it was. That shows us it was not a local flood. Because if Noah has to only bring the animals that only live in that region and nowhere else, He only has to bring a couple of animals. You don't need a huge ark. And yet the ark is big enough to hold representatives of every single animal kind from around the world. So Noah would never need to build an ark so big. How about the flood waters? The Bible tells us the waters went over the top of the highest hills or the highest mountains to a depth of 15 cubits. The cubit is this measurement, so roughly 22 feet. And I think you know how this works, right? Once the water goes over the top of the highest mountain, it's no longer a local flood because there's nothing to hold the water back unless it, you have this. This is a, what a mountain-covering local flood would look like. Of course, God could do that if he wanted to, but there's no indication that he did, and so we shouldn't assume something like that. So the Bible's pretty clear on that point. It was a worldwide flood. And how about the duration of the flood? Anybody know how long they were in the ark? I know Adam knows, but anybody else? Almost a year. Yeah, about a year. Okay, we think 40 days and 40 nights, well, that was like the initial inundation or downpour, but the, the waters continued rising for the first 150 days. They were in the ark for about a year. Now, local floods can be devastating. I'm not trying to downplay them. People can lose their livelihoods. They can lose their lives. They can be tragic. The impact can be felt for generations. But how long do they last? A week or two before the water's gone? And yeah, there's a lot of cleanup involved and everything, but they were in the ark for a year. This is something entirely different. Okay, it's it's unique. And how about this? Why would you build an ark in the first place? If it's just a local or regional flood, don't you think Noah could have, I don't know, moved? (laughs) Why spend years and years and years of your life building something completely unnecessary? If God wanted to drown that region, he could tell Noah, move, and once everything is gone, you can move back if you want. That would be a lot easier, right? But no, he has to build an ark because there's not going to be any dry ground anywhere on the planet. And so he needs to survive it by floating. he I mean, has a worldwide flood. And how about this? Why would you bring the flying creatures if it's just a local flood? The flying creatures can do something other animals can't during a local flood. Can you guess where it is? <laughs> they can fly. Okay? They can get out of there. And the fact that Noah had to bring birds, had to bring the flying creatures, proves it was not a local flood. And the Bible tells us very plainly he has to bring the flying creatures. Again, not a local flood. Are you guys starting to see the point here? The Bible doesn't really allow for local flood, but it's not just there. In the New Testament, we read that only eight people survived the flood. Peter tells us that, which is the same thing Genesis tells us. Jesus compared the judgment of the flood to the judgment that's going to occur when he returns. So if the flood was just a local judgment, maybe when Jesus comes back, it's just going to be a local judgment. What do you think? That's not how it's described, is it? Okay, that's going to be a worldwide judgment. There were huge changes that took place at the time of the flood. We believe that there was one continent on the earth prior to the flood. Why? Well, in Genesis 1, it talks about how all the the land was gathered together in one place, which seems to, well, all the water was gathered in one place, which seems to imply all the land was in one place. And when you read Genesis chapter 2, that land mass that's described doesn't match anywhere on the earth today. It's very different because the flood would have ripped that up and made the continents that we are familiar with today. There were other big changes that took place. Um, One of my favorite ones is Genesis 9, 3. God tells um, Noah and his sons that, you know, before you were only supposed to eat plants, now you can eat meat. It's okay, so one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Um, that's an important one. So there were huge changes that took place at the, at the flood. And I think the most important reason as Christians we need to understand this is a worldwide flood is because what happens after the flood. God puts the rainbow in the sky and says, this a symbol of my promise to you that I would never again, never again, never again, three times you read that phrase in that passage, destroy the earth with a flood like this. If it was a local flood, and we continue to have local floods today, then every single time you see the rainbow, like we saw this morning on the drive in, God lied. What does the Bible say about God lying? That he tries really hard not to do it? That he struggles? You know, it's, it's, it, he doesn't like it. He, no, one, he hates lying. What else? It is impossible for God to lie. That's what it tells us. He cannot do it. Did you get that? God cannot lie. Question for you can God do anything? No. Okay, good. I hope you got that. There's so many times where people blurt out, yes, because even though we just got done talking about how God cannot lie, they're like, yes. Why? Because we hear this in our culture a lot, that, um, well, with God, all things are possible, right? Didn't Didn't Jesus say that? Yes. What's the context? The disciples are like, who then can be saved? With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. In the context of who can be saved, that's where Jesus says that. Don't pull that out of context and then make it seem like God can do anything you can possibly imagine. Look, God, there's a lot of things God can't do. He can't be a married bachelor. He can't make a square triangle. He can't cease to exist. And he cannot lie. Okay? He can do all things that are possible. All things that are consistent with his perfectly good nature. That's how we need to say that. So, all right. So the Bible is very clear on this point. It was not a local flood. It was a worldwide, a global flood. Every single part of the land was covered all at once by water. And you have terrific evidence right around here of that event in the Grand Canyon. So everybody in this congregation should be very familiar with that. And if not, you've got to have Adam come and do some, do some teaching and take you on a long hike. All right, well, let's deal with questions that have to do with the construction of the ark. And we used to get these phone calls while we were building the ark. Adam, I don't know if you ever had to answer them, but they usually got forwarded to me and some emails that I can't really call them love letters because the words that were in there you would not put in a love letter. And a lot of times the phone calls would be something like this. How dare you make something like that? We've seen pictures of it, and you're not following God's word. You're compromising. You're trying to make it look like Hollywood. Why? Because our ark has a curved hull, and they're used to pictures like this. And they think, oh, it had to be a box. And they would would say things like, the word for ark means box, and you guys are are compromising. Well, sorry, no, it doesn't mean that. The Hebrew word that's used there is the word teva. Now, it is true that in modern Hebrew, meant like a mailbox, they'll have their word for mail, and then this word, teva. So it can refer to a box, but even that mailboxes don't always have to be rectangular boxes, do they? Okay, so it's... We're not locked into the shape just because of this word. In fact, this word appears throughout the flood account and, in, and after that only two times in the entire Bible, both in Exodus chapter 2. What's, in, what's happening in Exodus chapter 2 that uses the word ark or teva? Anybody know? Moses. Moses. Baby Moses is placed inside the ark of bulrushes. Does that have to be a box? No. Think about it. Unless you're in geometry class... And I know some of you guys have little flashbacks and nightmares. Sorry about that. (laughs) Um, Don't remind me. Uh, Actually, I like geometry. Um, But unless you're in geometry class, most of the time the word doesn't tell you the shape of something. But oftentimes it will tell you the purpose or the function of something. And in this case, Noah's huge ark and Moses' little bitty ark had a couple things in common, didn't they? They both floated and they both preserved life. Life preservers. And here's where it gets really interesting. Our, our lexicons tell us that it's most likely an Egyptian loan word, and it, it's from their word for, ready for this? Sarcophagus. Something they would put dead bodies into. Why would Moses, who grew up in Egypt and knew Egyptian, the, the language, his own name is an Egyptian word, um, why would he pick that word? What did the Egyptians think they were doing with that body when they put it in the sarcophagus? They thought they were. Preserving it for the afterlife. Now it makes a little more sense, doesn't it? And the Bible gives us the dimensions, it does not give us the shape. So, as long as we're within the dimensions given in Scripture, then there's some, if you want to call it artistic license, there's some freedom to come up with a different design. We're not dogmatic saying it had to look exactly like what we designed. But it's just, the Bible just gives the dimensions. If I told you I had an object up here that was five inches by five inches by five inches, what did I just describe? A cube? A pyramid? a sphere? You need more details, don't you? Because it could have been any one of those three. So we can't just make an assumption when we see dimensions. If I told you the dimensions of my car, would you assume that I drove around in a rectangular box? No, you would know I'm giving you the longest dimension by the widest dimension by the tallest dimension. That's how it works, and the same thing's true with ships. So there is some freedom in how you're going to design that, um, now, like I mentioned before, we're not dogmatics and it had to look just like ours, but here's what I could tell you. If it was built more like ours instead of that rectangular box, it would be a lot safer, a lot sturdier, a lot more secure, a lot more comfortable. The rectangular box would get turned side-on into the waves, and the waves would continually batter the side of the ark. You would do this the entire time. Can you imagine five months of that? You'd want a lot of Motrin. Okay? Our ark because of the way it was it is designed, would turn into the waves and would ride over them the right way. Okay, so it would be a lot safer. All right, how many people built the ark? Who says eight people? Noah, his wife, three sons, and their wives. Who's not answering questions today? <laughs> oh, You just did. I can't trust you guys at all because <laughs> all right. um, a lot of people think it was eight people. Uh, who says just Noah. Hebrews eleven seven 7, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear and prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Does that mean that Noah's the only guy swinging a hammer? No, not necessarily. I mean, if you think it is, I've got a question for you. Did Solomon build the temple? Yes and no, right? He didn't, we know he didn't quarry the blocks. We know he didn't cut the timbers. We know he didn't do any of the actual building. But he's in charge of the project, so you can say Solomon built the temple. And in the same way, it could be very similar with Noah. Now, I happen to think he actually was out there swinging a hammer, but I don't think he was the only one. I had a skeptic one time say something to me. Do you really think some 900-year-old guy built this all by himself? Like, no, he was in his 500s. Read the Bible. Okay. <laughs> Come on. Um, who? What about Noah's extended family members? Could they have helped out? I mean, his father Lamech dies five years before the flood. His grandfather Methuselah dies the year of the flood. If they happen to live in the same area, which we don't know if they did, but if they did, couldn't they have helped? Or other family members? What about construction crews? Could he have hired people to work on it? And some people think, no, because nobody else believed him. Why would that matter in terms of working on a job if there's a paycheck involved? And think how amazing that would be for Noah. Hey, guys, I'll pay you as soon as it stops raining. (laughs) 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 I'm just kidding. He wouldn't have done that. He was a righteous man, but the bank maybe didn't get their money back. They wouldn't have existed anymore. Um, When we were building our ark, I took this picture. Now notice in the background, the ark is not done yet. And in the foreground, anybody recognize this little symbol here on this car? Looks kind of like the Jesus fist. We've got some squiggly lines coming out of it and it has three letters in the middle, FSM. Anybody know what that stands for? It's it's the spaghetti. The Flying Spaghetti Monster. Okay? So the skeptics have made their own little symbol, their own little quote-unquote religion to mock Christianity and the Jesus fish. And so they'll say, you guys believe in some cosmic sky god zombie Jesus and there's no evidence for him unless you count the hundreds and thousands of people who walked with him and talked with him and saw him. They saw him die on the cross. They saw him alive again after he died. If you don't count all the evidence for Jesus, there's no evidence for Jesus. It's amazing how that works, isn't it? Okay? And that's what they do. Um, But They'll say, so we're just gonna say the Flying Spaghetti Monster made everything. And they made up their own little religion. They call it Pastafarianism. A few years ago in the state of Colorado, a woman sued the state so she could wear a colander on her head, get it? Colander, pasta, clever, right? Uh, For her driver's license photo. And then two years ago in the state of Alaska, there was a town hall meeting that opened with a prayer to the Flying Spaghetti Monster, all to mock Christianity and Jesus Christ. Obviously the person who owned this car did not agree with our message, but they could work on the project and it would give us an opportunity to witness to them. Now, I don't know the full numbers as far as the ark goes, but I know when we were building the Creation Museum, we had, there are some people who said over 30 people of the contract and everybody else who came in gave their lives to the Lord during that. Praise God for that. And we know there were others during the ark. I don't know how many. But, um, in fact, we just talked with one of the gals on our trip. She said she brought a friend through the ark who gave her life to the Lord while they were on the ark. And So praise God for that. But, um, uh, yeah, again... Obviously, that person didn't agree with our message, but they could still work on the project. The same sort of thing could have been true in Noah's day, and it would give him a chance to warn them of the coming judgment. So, how many people built the ark? The answer is, we just don't, Noah. (laughs) All right. (laughs) No more of those today. Um, We would get these calls all the time. Are you guys going to build the ark out of the same thing that Noah did? And I'd say, yeah, wood. No, no, no. Are you going to make it out of gopher wood? good question. What's gopher wood? Okay, it's used one time in the Bible, Genesis 6, 14, and older men, you don't have to come up to me later and say, I know what gopher wood is. Okay, I've heard the joke a billion times. so I know some of you were thinking it, <laughs> but um, so what's, what's gopher wood? Well, there's some Bibles to say cypress. Some people have guessed cedar. You know what they're doing when they make these guesses? They're looking at the Middle East today, somewhere in the area where the ark landed, and they're saying, what sort of trees grow in this region that would be suitable for building the ark? What's the problem with that? Just because the ark landed there doesn't mean that's where it started. In fact, that whole world was completely destroyed. That's what Peter tells us. That world, was, that, world that existed before was flooded with water and perished. Okay? It's a completely different world. So they're assuming a local flood. ark goes up and goes right back down, and so just look in that region. That's not how to do it. Okay? They're denying or not accounting for the flood. So the truth is we don't know what gopher wood is or was. We don't know if it is even still around today, if it got replanted after the flood. Here's what I can tell you. If it did get replanted, so some of the seeds are floating around and got replanted, and if today some of the descendants of that gopher wood is what today we call Douglas fir or Engelman spruce, then we built our ark out of gopher wood because those are two of the major timbers in the ark, but I don't know that. Um, So, in fact, if you want to find out how much we don't know about gopher wood, you can read my 4,000-word article all on how much we don't know about gopher wood. It goes through all the different scenarios or different guesses that people have come up with and shows why we can't really demonstrate that or prove that. Um, Ultimately, we're not sure what it is. Sorry that so many of my answers are, we're not sure. We're going to get to somewhere we are sure. All right, how about this one? How long did it take to build the ark? Who says 120 years? Okay. Got one brave soul, a couple, okay? That comes from Genesis 6, 3. The Lord said, my spirit will not strive with man forever, for he is indeed flesh, and his days shall be 120 years. And so a lot of people think this is a countdown to the flood. One of the problems with that is that the flood is not mentioned for another uh, 14 verses. The ark is not mentioned for another um, 11 verses. So this is in a different context. So nothing in here says this, even if this is a countdown of the flood, and there's a different interpretation as well, but even if you do count that as a countdown of the flood, nothing here says Noah started building the ark at this time. Some people think it was 100 years. Why? Because in Genesis 5.32, it says that Noah was 500 years old when he begot Shem, Ham, and Japheth. So when the oldest son was born, Noah was 500. The flood comes when he's 600, so the a 100-year window. And so some people think that that's how long it took. One of the problems with both of these views is when God says Noah build the ark, He says it's going to be for you. I'm going to make my covenant with you, your wife, your sons, your sons' wives with you. <laughs> Sounds like the boys are already grown up and married when God said Noah build the ark. So how long would that be? Well, you got to give. It's got to be less than hundred. Well, how much less? Well, how long did it take for the three boys to be born, to grow up and get married? Maybe twenty-five to fifty years subtract that from 100, you have a maximum build time of about 50 to 75 years. And maybe it doesn't even take that long. Can you imagine building something out of wood for 50 years? You start way down on one end, and 50 years later, you're way down there, and you finally finish up. What do you have to do back here? Repair, okay? Wood doesn't do a great job out in the elements, so maybe it's not even more than a decade or two. All right, how did Noah find all the animals? Oh, the skeptics love this one. Do you really think some old guy traveled all around the world grabbing all the animals and bringing them back and they're checking off the list and like, oh, we forgot the koalas. Shem, it's your turn. Go get them. Is that what we think? No. All we have to do is what? Read the Bible. Go back to Scripture. What does it say? Genesis 6.20, of birds after their kind, of animals after their kind, two of every kind will come to you. Did you get that? God is sending the animals to Noah. He doesn't have to go looking for them. This is an important point to remember. If a skeptic ever challenges you on Scripture, and they will, and they always, if they'll say, well, there's a contradiction in the Bible because it says this, and it also says this, don't take their word for it. Let them show you. Hand them a Bible and say, can you show me where that is? Most of the time, they have no idea. They're just repeating stuff that they've heard. But what if they ask you something and you're not sure how to answer? What if they show you something you're like, well, yeah, that is a tough one. I don't know. What do you What do you say? You bluff your way through it. No, don't do that, okay? Too many people do that. Do you know what you can say? I don't know. You can say that. You say, I don't know. That's a good question, but I bet there's an answer. Let me look it up. In fact, better, why don't we go try to find it together? Wouldn't that be a better approach than just bluffing? Okay? Think through it and give them a good answer. All right, so Noah doesn't have to go finding all the animals. God sent the animals to him. All right, the big one. How did Noah fit all the animals on the ark? Oh, the skeptics love this one. Uh, Nine years ago when Bill Nye was at the Creation Museum for a debate. um, Adam, were you involved in setting up a lot of that? I figured you would be. Um, He kept harping on the ark and the flood, even though the debate was not about that. It was about creation. So more about Genesis 1, not Genesis 7 and 8. And yet he kept going there and kept mocking the ark. And this is one of the things he would harp on. There's no way you can fit the millions of species on there. I'm sorry, you don't have to fit millions of species on the ark. So what are the two things we have to know in order to answer this question? One, how many animals have to go on, right? And how big was the ark? So usually this is what I do. I'll turn it around on them. Well, how many animals? I don't know, but there's no way you can fit them on the ark. Well, how big was the ark? I don't know, but there's no way you can fit all the animals. So they don't even know the two things they have to know, and they tell you it can't be done. Uh, One skeptic did this in a video in a response to something that Ken Ham had done on a video. Um, And I don't know about you, but do you notice anything in here that looks a little bit fishy? (laughs) Now, I know in our classification system, whales are not technically considered to be fish. But why would Noah have to bring the whales on board the ark? (laughs) Last time I checked, there was a pretty big pond outside the ark during the flood. In fact, the entire world was an ocean. They had more room to roam than they ever had before. Noah doesn't have to bring the marine creatures, which is where the vast majority of life is on Earth. Okay? So... The Bible tells us the size of the ark. The length of the ark, should be 300 cubits. It's width 50 cubits. It's height 30 cubits. Again, the cubit is this measurement. If Noah was my size, using that cubit, that's a 22-inch cubit. Okay, the ark would be even bigger than what we have in Kentucky by quite a bit. So which cubit are we going to use? Because they use different cubits throughout the ancient Near East. And it doesn't tell us which one Noah used. So we had to, we had to use one. We had to pick one. So they range anywhere from about 17 to about 19 and a half inches inches, the different cubit sizes that were used. And so what we did is we took the one that was used to make Hezekiah's Tunnel in Jerusalem, you know, nearly 2,000 years after Noah. So we have no idea that's the same one that they were using. But they used a 17 half inch cubit. And then what we noticed is that a lot of ancient building projects, like temples, pyramids, that kind of thing, they use what's known as a royal cubit or a long cubit. You take this measurement, and then you add width, the width of four fingers, so about 2.9 to 3 inches. So we took the 17 half inches, which is one of the shortest of the common cubits, made it a royal cubit or a long cubit, of 20.4 inches, and then when we multiply that by the dimensions given in the Bible, you have an arc that's 510 feet long, 85 feet wide, 51 feet tall, and when you subtract 15% for the curvature of the hull, you get 1.88 million cubic feet. Okay? If you've been out there, you, see, you know how big it is. There's a lot of room. But could you really fit millions of species? No, but you don't have to. Okay? So remember, here's what it looks like next to a football field. Uh, apologies, you guys are from Arizona. You probably don't know what that is. Um, I grew up in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We know better than anybody what that is. It doesn't look like it this year, but we do know better than anybody what that is. Um, find another team with 13 championships, you know. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's big, anyways. Um, so here's what Journal Science said 10 years ago. We argue the number of species on Earth today is 5 plus or minus 3 million of which 1.5 million are named. Do you like how specific they are? Anywhere from 2 to 8 million. We know there's 1.5. We think there's a lot more. There probably is, especially in the oceans or microscopic organisms, which Noah doesn't have to worry about. Those. And even if he had to worry about the microscopic ones, they could all fit inside of a thimble. Big deal. Okay. But he did not have to bring the marine creatures. And out of the IUC and red list that we use for like an endangered species list, they say there's 1.77 million species. But that includes the plants and all the bacteria and all the marine creatures. You can subtract those. You can subtract 1 million species of insects, 400,000 species of beetles alone. They're not required on the ark. They don't fit the description of the creatures that had to go on board the ark. Um, in fact, insects can survive a flood, whether it's on floating logs or just as larvae or pupa, They, they can survive. Um, but they don't have the breath of life in their nostrils. They don't have nostrils. They don't breathe air that way they get air through spiracles in their side Um, the bible says in leviticus the life of the flesh is in the blood guess what insects don't have except for female mosquitoes after they get you they have blood and when's the last time you saw insects go two by two okay they don't fit the description of the creature that needed to be on board the ark so you can subtract all of those and all of the plants you're left with about 40,000 species of land animals could you fit 40,000 species of land animals in the ark? Probably not, but you don't have to because the Bible doesn't say bring the species. He said bring the kinds. And the kinds is more roughly equivalent to the family level. So we, uh, let me show you a, a chart that you might recognize from your biology class. And this is more of an evolutionary view where they see all these things as being related, but you get to the, bi- the bottom there, you have species. Sometimes you have more specific would be subspecies. The further up you go, the less specific they are. So you've got genus level at the family level. Um, below the red line, there you got panda, black bear, grizzly, polar. All of those are just bears, sun bears. No, doesn't have to bring two of each of those. He just needs two bears. Okay, and so you can see how he didn't need to bring 40,000 species. In fact, he only needs to bring about 1,400 kinds, and that's a very high estimate, as I'll show you. So he doesn't have to bring two of each of these. He just needs two of the ceratopsid kind. He doesn't need two of each of the Tyrannosaur species. He needs two of the Tyrannosaur kind, and it maybe isn't even the biggest one. You know, T-Rex, like we think of. Maybe he brought some smaller ones instead. Uh, one of the ways we talk about it at the Ark is Noah didn't need to bring all of these. The biggest one you can possibly think of and a whole bunch of different species this is the kinds, and they can be juveniles. Okay? Or they could be smaller varieties within that, species, within that kind. And he didn't have to bring any of these, which is really weird that we have to make a sign like that. But why do we? Because the skeptics always include the marine creatures when they talk about the millions of species. So we had to remind him, this is not what we're talking about. But he did have to bring some animals that are now considered to, to be extinct. When you go through the ark, if you've been there before, you were probably surprised by some of the animals that we sculpted. Because what we did is like a 50-50 mix. 50% that are still around today, and 50% that have gone extinct since the time of the flood to give you a better picture of what it would have been like on board the ark. So then we had to figure out how many of each kind Noah brought. Because if you, if you look through different Bibles, you'll see something very interesting in Genesis six twenty, God says, two of every kind will come to you." in the next chapter he clarifies, and he says, "Of the um, clean animals and the flying creatures bring seven or seven pairs? And it depends on which Bible you 're reading. Well which number is it? We had to decide. The Hebrew literally says seven, seven, a male and a female. I think the arguments are a little bit stronger for the seven pairs um, because they 're going to go two by two, you need an even number. Um, When it says seven, seven, there's other grammatical reasons why I think it's probably the 14. Some people argue for the seven. I'm not trying to split the church on this issue. We had to pick one. Which one are we going to do? Anytime we had a choice between a low number and a higher number when it comes to the animals, we always pick the high number. Because if the high number fits, the lower number is going to fit. And we don't want people to think that we cheated. Okay, so we always went with the high number. So we took 14 of all the clean animals and all the flying creatures. And uh, we also practice what we call splitting rather than lumping. When you're trying to determine what animals belong in a kind, if they can interbreed, same kind. You, know, you got your your donkeys and your horses and your zebras and everything, same kind. Okay? All the cats, one kind, not 33 different species, you just need two cats. Okay? Same with dogs as well. Um, so you if if we have the hybrid data that shows that they belong in the same kind, we put them in there. But if we don't have all that data that we need, Even when we strongly suspect they belong to the same kind, we would split them into different kinds. For example, with bats, everybody's favorite animal. Um, There are 18 living families of bats in the world today and another six extinct families of bats that we've identified. So 24 families of bats. We strongly suspect they all belong to the same kind. They have very similar capabilities, at least the living ones still do. Um, They have, and it it doesn't matter whether it's micro or macro bat, they still have certain capabilities that are all similar. Um, their anatomy is very similar, and so we suspect that, but we didn't have all the data we needed to prove it, so we split them out into 24 kinds. And because they're flying creatures, how many are we bringing of each? 14. We have over 300 bats on board the ark. Noah might have just needed seven. Okay, so we are probably overestimating the number by quite a bit. So how many were there? Well, here's the numbers. We've done the research on this, and you can read all of these studies on our website on the Answers Research Journal, or we've got books that go through it. 194 kinds of amphibians. You multiply it by two, two of each of those. There's your number, 388. Same thing with reptiles. Birds, nearly all of those are multiplied by 14 except for the five flightless kinds, um, or by two, because it's the flying creatures. It doesn't say birds. Um, And the mammals, some of those are multiplied by 14, like the bats. So 300 of those are bats. And then... Uh, The sheep, the sheep-goat kind, which is a clean animal, and then the cattle is also a clean animal. So those ones, uh, and strangely enough, giraffes actually would be identified as clean animals too. So when you see all the pictures of the ark with the two giraffes, they actually need seven or 14 of them, and not just two. But um, the mammals, there's your number for that. Does that add up to millions? Anybody really good at math? No, it's nowhere near. Oh, but we don't have all the extinct ones yet. Okay, let's put those in there. There's the number. Does that add up to millions? It's not even close. How many is it? Total of under 6,800 animals, and again, that number is a high estimate. It's probably somewhere in the four thousands. Fewer than 1,400 kinds. Could you fit those on board the ark? In fact, when we ran the numbers, we figured out how much water, how much food, how much cage size, all all that kind of stuff. How much floor space? Everything fit just right. Wouldn't you expect that? Who's the one that told Noah how big to build the ark? God did. He knew how big it needed to be. He's not going to have them make it way too big so that Noah's spending many, many extra years building something completely unnecessary and it makes it a lot harder to keep it afloat. He's not going to tell them to make it too small so when they're checking off the list and they're like, we're full, sorry unicorns, I guess you don't get on. Okay, now we know what happened to the unicorns. We're going to come back to them in a little bit. But um, they were just right, like Goldilocks, all right? So, and if you want to see a list of every single animal kind required on the ark, there it is. We've had that sign in the ark for about six years. I haven't had a single person contact us yet and say, by the way, you're missing one. We did have one young man who contacted us and said, you have a duplicate, one name way down here and one name way up there. Some people's brains work very different than mine (laughs) because these are all like eight-syllable Latin words, and he was right. So there's a typo. I'm blaming my assistant on that one. So He handled most of the animal-related stuff, and when he gave me this list, I said, I'm not checking that. You're checking that. (laughs) I've got other things to do. Um, But, yeah, it's a great sign goes through all that. All right, well, what about dinosaurs on board the ark? A lot of people scoff at the idea. They hear it and they think that's just ridiculous. There's no way they could fit. Or the whole idea that they were even around at that time. Why would you think they had to go on board the ark? Of course, that's not Noah's ark. That's more like a little bathtub ark. Uh, were they required on the ark? Well, they were land animals. And as long as they were alive at the start of the flood, that means they would be required on the ark. Were they alive at the start of the flood? Um, I'm going to ask Adam real quick to speak up on this one. Where do we find the Fossils of dinosaurs, yeah. which were laid down by the flood. the flood. Okay, so they were alive at the start of the flood, meaning they would be required on board the ark. Representatives would have been. So, when you explain that that wasn't the ark, that the ark was really big, some people think, okay, I get it. But really, Argentinosaurus, that thing could weigh 50 to 85 tons. That's what they estimate. Massive creature. Um, yeah, when it was fully grown. What about when it was younger? Okay, not that big, and in fact, at one point, it was only about the size of a football. Okay, I'm not saying that Noah took two eggs and rolled them up the ramp hoping to get a pink one and a blue one, because if he didn't, we know why they went extinct. Um, I know that goes against prevailing wisdom today, but it still works that way. Um, and but after they hatch, they're not a whole lot bigger. Okay. So why bring the smaller ones? Well, obviously, they take up less space. They eat less. They have less waste. You're thankful for that if you're in charge of cleanup. They are more durable. What do I mean by that? Well, because I am getting very close to the decade that starts with number five. If I happen to trip and fall up here, what happens? I break. Yeah, in fact, about three weeks ago, I, I fell at work a little bit and caught myself in my hands. My shoulder hurt for like two weeks. But what happens if we take one of the little ones and ha- have them fall off the step? They bounce. They get up and do it again, and they laugh and do it again and again because it's fun. <laughs> the same thing's going to be true with the animals. You're going to be on the stormiest seas, most likely, that have ever been. And once in a while, you might get tossed around. You don't want to have some that are going to break a shoulder or a hip or a knee every single time they fall over. Okay? Um, bring the juveniles. They can survive that. And the younger ones are going to have many more years to reproduce after the flood. You don't bring the oldest ones that can't have babies anymore. Okay? So there's a lot of reasons why you bring the smaller ones. By the way, the average size of an adult dinosaur is estimated to be about the size of a bison. So like a large cow, could you fit 50 to 90, that's how many dinosaur kinds we think there were, 50 to 90 large cows on board the ark, pairs of large cows. Yeah, okay, there's room for that. All right, what about unicorns on the ark? You thought I was kidding when I was talking about unicorns. Why would I bring that up? Because there are some Bibles that use the word unicorn, like the King James Version. Will the unicorn be willing to serve thee or abide by the crib? And the skeptics love that. In fact they use this verse and other ones like that to say look at you christians believe in fairy tale creatures and uh, it's just mythical or mythological it's so obvious that this is fake um, except for the bible's talking about a real animal no not a white horse with a horn on his head for the next 60 to 90 seconds get that image out of your head and just think through what the bible is describing here and see if you can figure out what kind of animal is being described so it's a creature with great strength, Numbers 23 tells us. It's not suitable to put near children, near the crib or anything. It's just way too big and powerful, like a bull in a china shop. Uh, you would never hook up your plow to it. It's too strong. Don't you think the white horse with a horn on its head would be really good for a plow? Yeah, it's not talking about us. It's a different creature. There's a, the young variety can skip around. There's a one horn variety of unicorn, and get this, a two horn variety of unicorn. Ready for this? Um, My horn shalt thou exalt like the horn of a unicorn. There's the one horn. Ready for the two horn? In Deuteronomy 33, his glory is like the first sling of his bullock. His horns are like the horns of, that word in Hebrew is singular, the horns of a unicorn. That's what it should read. And look what it goes on and tells us about those horns. They are the thousands, or ten thousands of Ephraim. They are the thousands of Manasseh. In other words, one horn stands for 10,000. One stands for 1,000, meaning one horn is, what is it? One horn is? Bigger. bigger than the other. Can you see that? Can you guys think of a creature that fits that description really well? How about something like that? So the Indian rhino, or I'm sorry, the black rhino there in the front is, uh, the Latin name is Desiris bicornis. The Indian rhino, one horn variety, do you know what its Latin name is? Rhinoceros, anybody want to guess the next word? Unicornis. You know what they called rhinos back in 1611 when the King James was translated? Many people called them unicorns. In fact, if you look at another Bible that was finished just two years before the King James was translated, the Dewey Rhymes version, that's the Roman Catholic Bible into English. The Old Testament was done in 1609. Here's what it says same verse His beauty is the firstling of his bullock, his horns as the horns of a rhinoceros. If you put the word rhinoceros every time the King James says unicorn, it will make perfect sense it's not talking about a fairy tale creature it's talking about a creature that we know it's just that language changes over time and you have to be aware of that and yet skeptics will use that fact the fact that language changes to mock the Bible so be prepared for that so did Noah bring unicorns on board the ark? well we put some on the ark encounter there they are Okay, and there's a sign explaining the things I just shared with you and here's a picture of me on opening day telling 21 atheists and agnostic protesters all about the unicorns on the ark so they'd stop using that stupid argument Okay. All right, so let's deal with some misconceptions, and then we'll, look, we'll close by looking at the, um, some of the behind the scenes that I want to share with you, uh, that some of the things that we got to do. So you look at one right there. That is not Noah's Ark. Okay. I know they're exceedingly cute, these little bathtub ark things. They're adorable, but be careful with them. Um, I'm not, I don't want to condemn anybody who's ever used it. That's not my point. But if you train young people thinking that's what Noah's Ark is like, and they never learn anything different than that, they're going to see it as a fairy tale. Okay? I like the way Dan Letha put it. Uh, he said, only an ark of biblical dimensions could survive a flood of biblical proportions. You see, if that's what the ark looked like, none of us would be here today. No more land animals either. Most importantly, one of Noah's descendants who also worked with wood, they called him the son of a carpenter, never would have come to this earth to be born of a virgin, live a sinless life, and then die on the cross for each one of us and then rise from the dead three days later. And there'd be no salvation for anyone. What Noah was doing was building the most important ship of all time, and I think it's important that we at least try to get it right. Okay? Um, Some people say you can't build a wooden ship this large. In fact, when Bill Nye was at the Creation Museum, uh, you know, the guy who plays the science guy on TV, he's not a scientist. I think you guys know that, right? Um, That's just his acting role. Um, But he argued that you can't build wooden ships that large. In fact, he said, my ancestors were shipbuilders in New England back in the late 1800s, early 1900s. The largest wooden ship that was built at that time was, and he said, ever built, was the Wyoming. It's 430 feet long from tip to tip, so not quite the size of the ark, but it's getting there. And he says, the problem is when they put the Wyoming Wyoming out, it started um, twisting and bending and springing leaks, and then it sank, and all 14 people on board were killed. And that's true about the Wyoming but he left off some really important details like it had six different masts which would have all sorts of different um, concerns and different um, you know, stresses on the hull and everything. The ark didn't have any of that. But here's the really important detail he left off. The Wyoming carried thousands of tons of cargo back and forth and back and forth across the Atlantic Ocean for nearly 15 years. Why do you think he left that detail out? Because you can build wooden ships that large. There's just certain challenges that have to be overcome, but if you know what they are, you can overcome them. So if you can build one that's almost the size of the ark and it can float for 15 years, do you think you can build one a little bit bigger that would float for a maximum of five months before it lands on the mountains of Ararat? Yeah. Um, Some people say the Bible just copied ancient flood myths. We have a whole exhibit at the Ark Encounter about this. There are flood legends from around the globe. Some people count over 500 of them. I know there's over 200 because I read that many just for this exhibit. Uh, All the places where you see a little word there with a little symbol, all of those are different flood legends that sound very similar to the biblical account. All the ones that have the illustration with it, you can read a summarized version of their flood account in the exhibit. And one thing that's really interesting is there a lot of similarities to the biblical account, but there's also distortions from it. But what's also very interesting is that when you look around the globe, there are many traditions and legends from these ancient people groups that man was made from the dust of the ground or from the clay, and then the great spirit comes along or this wind comes along and makes him alive. What does that sound like? Kind of like Genesis 2, doesn't it? Man was made from the dust of the ground. And then in so many of these cultures, the reason that man dies or the reason that man has become wicked has something to do with a tree and or a serpent. We find that all over the globe, and it's not because missionaries went there. This is a tradition that had been handed out for a very long time. We also find 23 different legends that sound very much like the Babel, uh, Babel account. And then, no Abraham legend. No similarity to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, nothing from then on. Why do they seem to know about Genesis 1 through 11 but nothing else? What happened in Genesis 11? Babel. Those people had a shared history. Noah's family got off the ark. Their descendants went and started building the city and the tower. They had a, the same common history at that point. And then they separated and went their different ways with different languages, and they passed their traditions on generation after generation after generation gets distorted like the telephone game. But that kernel of truth is still there. That's why we find this and all those other details from Genesis 1 through 11. That's exactly what we'd expect to find, and we do, because the biblical account is true. So you can read more about that in our flood legends exhibit at the ark. Some people say, you've probably heard this before, uh, that there was no rain before the flood, and so people are laughing at Noah because he's saying he's going to flood, and it never even rained before. Where does the Bible say it never rained? Well, there is a verse, and I'm putting this in a possible misconception. I'm not trying to split the church here. I just want you to recognize the context of where this verse comes from. Genesis 2, 5, Before any plant of the field was in the earth, and before any herb of the field had grown, for the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the earth, and there was no man to till the ground. Before God made man, it had not rained yet. That's what that verse says. Is it safe to extrapolate for the next six, 1,600 plus years and say it never rained? I don't think so, but some people think it is. I don't want to start a fight on that one. That's not the point. I just want you to see the context of where that is found. Okay? So the Bible never specifically says it never rained before the flood. Uh, does it doesn't say there were no rainbows before the flood. It doesn't say that either. Well, but didn't put, God put the rainbow in the sky after Yes, he attached special significance to it at that time. So let me ask you a question. When Exodus chapter 12 with the Passover lamb, did he invent lambs at that point? No, it's just now there's a special significance attached to those lambs, okay? God can take something that already exists and attach special significance. There's other things like that as well. Um, Does the Bible say that Noah was an amateur? You've heard this before. The the Titanic was built by experts. The ark was built by an amateur. And we think, oh, isn't that cool? I'm going to step on toes. I know it. No, it's really silly. Why? Who is the one that told Noah to build the ark? God. So did God tell somebody who has no idea, idea what he's doing to build the most important ship of all time? Who looked foolish now? God would. So even though we think that's kind of a humble thing, no, it actually makes God seem silly, like he doesn't know what he's talking about. Let me ask you a question. Those of you who have been walking with the Lord for maybe 10, 20, 30, 40 years or more, can you look back on your life and see how God has been preparing you for the things you're doing right now? Can okay, anybody see that? I see it. Okay. That's how he often does it. Now, he could have zapped Noah with the knowledge of building the ark right then and there. What if Noah was already a great shipbuilder? What if he was one of the best friends in the world and God said, Noah, build the ark? He's like, yeah, I can do that. How big? Oh, that's going to take a little while. Okay? Have you considered that before? Because that's often how he does things. He prepares the people for the task that he has in store for them long before they even know what's in store for them. But he knows. So the Bible never says he was an amateur, and even if he was, he could have hired people who weren't. So we shouldn't assume that the ark was built by an amateur. Does the Bible ever say no one had ever seen a boat before? It doesn't say that. Does the Bible say he was mocked while he was preaching? It never says that. Or that he was pleading with people to come on board the ark? It never says that either. God said who, the eight people who going to go on board the ark... Okay? And it never says that he was pleading or that people were mocking him. Now, to be fair on this last one, okay? Noah was a godly man living in an extremely ungodly world. If there were people around him, do you think they mocked him? That seems to be a very, very safe assumption. But it's still an assumption. Okay? And that's my point. I'm not here to try to ruin Sunday school and what we've always been taught. I want us to look very closely at what Scripture says and separate that from the gaps that our minds automatically fill in. Because that's what happens when you're reading something. You're trying to picture what it might be like. If I said David and Goliath, a lot of you just got a picture in your mind. And it's probably wrong when you're thinking about David. He was not a little guy. The Bible never says that. Okay. In fact, I've got an article on Answers in Genesis website, five reasons why he was actually a pretty big guy. He was just young. That's what it tells us. Okay. So there's all sorts of things that happen like that, but I want you to pay close attention to what the Bible says and separate that from the... The gaps that our minds fill in, because this is what's inspired truth. This is, no matter how reasonable, like Noah was mocked when he was, you know, while, while he was building the ark, that idea, um, it's still an assumption. So that's, that's my point with these things. All right, well, let's take a look at the behind this. You guys didn't answer questions quickly enough. I think we're going to have to skip this. Oh, I'm just kidding. No. I work with some very, very talented people. We had one guy on our team that was hired to be a sketch artist to, to figure out what the animals would look like. He was working with my assistant. Um, Uh, Adam, you know Mike Belknap, right? The guy, you know what he likes to do? (laughs) All day long, he likes to stick his nose in fossil books. How boring, okay? But he loves it, and I'm glad because he would look at all these fossils of all these creatures and figure out exactly how big that creature should be and where the muscles should attach. and he loves it. Boring. Um, But uh, So we're going to have some very realistic-looking animals because he's so detailed. Anyways, we hired this guy to work with him and sketch the animals, figure out what they should look like, and so they were doing that. Obviously, the sketching, is a lot quicker than the sculpting. So he got through with the sketches, they would hand it off to the person who's designing them on the computer and then they would 3D print them or they would send them to a CNC machine or however we're going to make that creature. And so they came up to this guy and said, hey, you're done with the sketches, we're kind of behind on sculpting, can you help us? And he said, I've never sculpted an animal before. And I said, okay, well you can practice on this little dog or wolf head and we'll teach you. And he did this wolf and it looked really good. And then they gave him a creature called Thylacus mylus and it kind of looks like a saber-toothed cat Um, It's got this really goofy jaw. And I remember going back there, you know, day after day looking at his progress. And for about two weeks, it kind of looked like this. And I thought, that is one of the dumbest looking animals I've ever seen. Why are we making this? And then he finished and I thought, that is one of the coolest looking animals I've ever seen. I'm really glad that we made this. Those are the first ones he ever sculpted. And we had to rough them up because they looked too good. And we had to make it look like they had been on the ark for a while. Okay. It's ridiculous how talented some of these guys are. He also worked on these ones called Theosodon uh, as well. Um, this is a picture of my favorite one. Anybody know what that creature is? Uh, the one on the right? <laughs> that one is, you know back there? Nope, think bigger. Much, much bigger. Yes, it's Tyrannosaurus rex, but it's a juvenile. Okay, so it's a little one. And um, the reason it's my favorite one is because it's the one that I sculpted you believe that? You shouldn't. I told you I can't even draw a stick figure very well. Okay? The truth is I did go back there one day and they let, they let me make like six little impressions on his foot. Sculptor. Okay, and then they probably went and fixed it. Um, But that's a juvenile T. Rex. Uh, We have a lot of fossil evidence about how big they would be. We don't know exact coloring and all that kind of thing, but you can use modern reptiles to kind of make guesses about that. Um, We got one guy on our team who spent two months building this Tower Babel diorama under construction. There's 1,000 little 3D printed figures. There's 300 animals. All everything you see in that picture uh, for the diorama, except for the grass and the dirt, was 3D printed. And it was pretty new technology at the time. So he sat there day after day for like two months painting these things. Look at the detail he put on every one of these little guys. Why? So that by the time it's done, it would look spectacular. It would look like that. Because he believes, like the rest of our team believes, that everything we do should be done unto the Lord. We should be giving him our best. And it is so amazing to work with a team like that. It's so cool. And to work with a ministry that allows us to spend enough time to do things with excellence. So uh, we, Travis is the guy in the dark there on the left. Uh, he was kind of in charge of the 3D print, printing, which was a very new technology when we built the Ark. Now everybody's using it. We're using it for the Jerusalem model, which is our nec- next big project. So he designed this little turnstile, and he puts, you can put the person there. They can do their pose. And then he's slowly spinning her around with his foot. Meanwhile, in his hand, his left hand, he's holding something called a Kinect. If you have an Xbox, it's something you can get that tracks your motion. So he's just scanning her as he's slowly spinning her around, and then the computer grabs that image, and he can touch it up a little bit, click print, and a few hours later, there's your character on the 3D printer, and then you just prime it and paint it. In the old days, when we opened the museum, and I'm sure Adam and Jen remember this, they used to they would make them out of clay, lumps of clay, and they would sit there for weeks making these little characters look very realistic. Not as realistic as this, but very realistic. Put them in the kiln, you hope it doesn't break. It could take three weeks for one character. Now they're much more lifelike and a lot quicker. That wasn't fast enough for Travis, so he called this company that had 72 cameras that they set up in a circle. You get the person, they go and stand and do their pose. You can take a leaf blower and put it on them so that their, their robe bo- blows back. You know, it's the action shot of your hair flows back like Fabio. That's what happened with me. Um. <laughs> and then you click the button one time and all 72 cameras fire and the computer grabs it and makes a 3D image. And you, if you need to touch it up, you can, but you click print and there's your character. And within a minute, you have another person in there doing the next pose. So for one of the dioramas, they need a giant. Anybody want to guess who they called for that? You guys want to see what I look like when I get back from Florida with my tan? Anyone? Okay, there we go. (laughs) And after being 3D printed in two parts because he's too big for the printer, that's what Goliath scale would be like. Uh, There he is, and there he is in the ark today um, in that diorama. And it's sad to me that I'm not even the coolest thing in that because what's coming out the door on the right is amazing, Uh, Carnotaur. And people look at that and say, why are you being so mean to that woman? What are you talking about? I am the good guy. Law and order. Law and order. Okay? She's a serial killer. If you don't believe me, talk to the content manager who comes up with a storyline. Oh, that's me. Okay? That's my story. I'm sticking to it. I'm the good guy in there. But it, it was so fun to be part of a team. In fact, when I look around at the different dioramas, I see a bunch of our team members in there. And uh, so we got to do that. So let's go back to this question then. Why build the Ark Encounter? Was it just so we'd have a really cool looking building in northern Kentucky? Well, I mean, that's a neat reason, but that's not why we would do it. Is it so that we can answer those skeptical questions that people have about Noah and the ark and the flood to show them that God's word is true, that it's trustworthy, that it's feasible? Well, that's a really important reason. That's one of the reasons, but it's not the most important reason why build the ark encounter. Because we have the most important message that can ever be shared, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we proclaim it boldly throughout the ark. And we have over a million people a year who come to the ark. 30 to 35% of them, according to the surveys that we take, are unchurched meaning 300 to 350,000 people a year going through the ark who are not in church and are encountering the gospel of Jesus Christ. Praise God for that opportunity. So that's why we build the ark encounter. Look, God judged this world once before with a worldwide flood, and he provided a means of physical safety for Noah and his family on board the ark. They were not saved eternally because they walked through the door of the ark, but they were spared from the consequences of the flood. They didn't die in the flood similarly not the exact same but similarly this world is going to be destroyed again in the future this time by fire and god has provided a means of eternal salvation from our sins through his son jesus christ the death burial and resurrection of jesus and that's what we need to proclaim and that's one of the reasons the ark and the flood is a perfect opportunity for for us to share that gospel message so that's why we built the ark encounter um, so real quickly, I went right to 10:30. So we're just about out of time. Ch- I don't. I didn't have room in the uh, airplane or anything to bring a bunch of my books. I've written over uh, two dozen books or co-authored some of those. Um, so some of the ones that I was able to take care of, like that I have the rights to, I put on a digital uh, flash drive that you guys I have available. I have some of them available here, um, and my friend Eric Hoban made some movies and some little spoof films, Night at the Creation Museum. So those are kind of goofy and fun there on there as well. Um, but here's a list of a bunch of things: my uh, seven-part Resurrection series um, that we. Um, that is for study groups and everything with the PowerPoints and discussion guide along with a lot of interviews that are just thrown in there for a bonus. A bunch of my books are on there. So all of that, um, more than $300 worth for just $50. So if anybody wants any of those today, I don't have change with me. So uh, you you could do check or I've got, I think I can do credit card. I think she packed the thing if I can find it. And, or just cash. So um, let me close in prayer and then 15 minutes or so, we're gonna start our service, right? Our Heavenly Father, thank you for this day you've given us. Thank you for your faithful servant Noah that tells us in Genesis 6 that he did everything that you had commanded him to do. And Lord, may the same thing be said about each one of us at the end of our lives. I know that I've blown it a million or two times, and yet every single time you pick me back up and put me on the path that I need to be on. Thank you for your guidance, your direction, your forgiveness, your love, your mercy. Lord, thank you for your goodness toward us. Thank you for, most of all, for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you that He was willing to take our place on that cross and pay the penalty that we deserve because of our rebellion against you. Thank you for raising him from the dead three days later, showing you have power over sin and death and giving us the hope and guarantee of eternal life to all who believe in him. May we live our lives out of gratitude for what you've done. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.